Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, one of Micaiah's all-time favorite albums, Joni Mitchell's Blue. Micaiah, tell us about Joni and arguably her best album. Oh, man, I don't want to say too much up top because I know we're going to get into it. Um, but yeah, this is her her fourth record. Um, pretty much uh, uh, universally declared pretty much a masterpiece um, by all rock critics, magazines, you know, websites, you name it. You know, this is uh one of the templates for like singer songwriters still 50 years later um for me it's 10 songs um that are you know it's a, it's a perfect 10 out of 10 right this is what i would call one of the rare like genuinely perfect albums right each song the cover um everything joni does as a singer songwriter producer this is a a perfect album and even if it's an album that uh someone might not think is perfect right it's still a quintessential listen right this is so important uh, to music history and to so many singers and so many songwriters that you kind of have to come back to it right this is this is a this is required listening for people who are you know consider themselves into music Right. You, you have to get to this album at some point. Doesn't matter when, right. We all get there at different times. I didn't get there till grad school, you know, uh, but it, it's, it's an important kind of touchstone um, for, for music lovers for sure. Um, yeah. But it, like in uh, speaking of Joni, you know, just kind of like in like recent Joni news, right. There's uh, lately, it seems like she's kind of always been, kind of in the cult like she just keeps coming up like SZA had a song called Joni um today in in Joni history um to the day that we're recording is the anniversary of the release of her her first record and Harry Styles just announced a new record today called Harry's House uh which is a name of a song of Joni Mitchell's on the record Hissing the Summer Lawns um, I, I don't know that he knows that, um, but it's there, you know? So yeah, it kind of seems like there's always, you know, especially the last few years, like Joni kind of seems to always stay relevant. Um, when we were originally going to record this episode, um, the Spotify thing had just happened, uh, with, uh, Joni Mitchell and Neil Young pulling their music, uh, which made this one a harder episode to prep for because you and I like to like when I'm at work and I don't have my records with me. Um, I like to listen to like the discography of an artist before we go in and talk about them, which was not possible uh, because I do listen to Spotify. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it just goes to show, you know, that um, Joni is still this like influential person in music who can, and, and will take a stance on something that she believes in. Um, that I and this is the kind of thing that I think people really love about Joni Mitchell, not just as you know the musician and the you know rock icon, um, but as a person. And Neil and Joni, you know, even though they're you know what people might just call old farts that you know people might not care about, uh, something got done, you know, which was really really cool to see. Joni Mitchell is admittedly an artist that you love more than I do. 
but I think this album is is kind of undeniable, even for someone like me who admittedly this is not an album that I listen to with any great frequency, but it is an important album and it's an album that is very, very good. I mean, it it is a great album. And one of the things that I find so interesting is this is a great album that here, as it's just celebrated its 50th anniversary, I feel like I'm among a handful of people, a large number of people perhaps, that are coming to this 50-year-old album really just recently. And it's interesting to see the way that this is an artist and this is an album that is gaining new listeners, that is gaining new uh, fans, that is growing in its popularity 50 years after it came out, now 51 years after it came out. What I think it is, is that the music holds up, you know, and and I think when people look for kind of old music, they, they know to go for the Beatles, right? The Beatles still to this day, in terms of vinyl sales, are still always in like the top 10. Right. And like even like Bob Marley's legend. Right. So there there's always things that are just always going to be, you know, the best selling stuff. People love an anniversary, especially a big anniversary, like 50, you know. So when you see like the 50th anniversary coming up, you know, people go, oh, wow, this is 50 years old. People are still talking about it. Well, all right. Must be pretty good. Right. So I think that gets more people interested in looking back and saying, oh, check this out. Now, that's just new listeners. We wouldn't talk about the 50th anniversary if the album were any good. So like I said, first and foremost, it's just that the songs hold up, the music holds up. I think one reason why it does is because it is so intimate and so personal that, right, this song's about loneliness and love age very well, right? Um, That helps. Um, Another thing about it is the production style, right? I mean, it's just... Here's the guitar. Here's the piano. There are no like real tricks a little bit on flight tonight for like a, a section of that song, just real briefly, but it's pretty straightforward. No tricks. Like this is just, it is what it is. And, and maybe coming out of 2020 and 2021, right. Still the COVID era while this album is, you know, having big anniversaries and getting some attention again and being written about and posted about on social media, you know, maybe a lot of people are finding it, when they also feel lonely and isolated and they need the intimacy of that Joni Mitchell offers right on this record. And I know for a lot of people, the album can be emotionally devastating. Um, and it certainly is at times, but for me, and you made fun of me for putting this on my desert Island list. Cause I asked you would, you know, transatlanticism be too much of a bummer sometimes if you only had five records to listen to and then you uh, laughed quite hard when I said the blue was going to be one of mine. But, but for me, when it gets to those kind of emotionally challenging parts, it doesn't feel that devastating because I feel you're kind of with Joni or the Joni's with you. You know, it, it doesn't feel her talking about how lonely she may be right. Makes you feel less lonely. And again, this, that's a, that's a personal thing. Um, but I think for people who have just latched onto this record, I, I'm willing to bet that they feel the same way. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see if it's the experience of our guest today, today to help us talk about Joni Mitchell's blue 
we have music writer Annie Zaleski joining us. And so we're going to take a break. We're going to let you hear this week from two independent record stores of the week in Annie's hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. Let you hear from today's sponsor, Anchor, and then we will be back with our guest, Annie Zaleski. This week, we have two independent record stores of the week, and we want to let you hear Annie Zaleski talk about her two favorite spots in her hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. So the first one is Blue Arrow Records. And they are, um, you can find them, they're on TikTok and Instagram and uh, Twitter, mostly on Instagram. They were all vinyl before basically, you know, vinyl, before the vinyl boom, they, they basically saw it coming. All vinyl store, they have cats in the store. They have multiple oh. cats walking around. They actually, there's like a stray cat. Um, the owners are awesome and they, they take care of all the stray cats in the neighborhood, but they're great. Like it's every time I go in there, there's something interesting, which is not good for my credit card bill. Their <laughs> prices are very fair. The owner is extremely fair and there's always something. And it's like classic rock, soul, metal, whatever you want. It's pretty much there. The other one is called By Mind's Eye Records. And so this is in Lakewood, Ohio. This is a suburb of Cleveland, very close. But it is like the best used bin of like any store I've been to in America. He's always buying collections. So you walk in there and it's like, oh, here's some, you know, Dolly Parton records from the 70s for $3 or early blur 12 inches. And so you never oh, know what's in there. They're all reasonably priced. The owner is awesome. Like they, then they also have, if you're looking for a new vinyl in a given week, that's where you go because he always gets stuff in, you know, he'll special order things. And so those are my two go-tos. Once again, that's Blue Arrow Records. Blue Arrow Records is located at 16,001 Waterloo Road, Cleveland, Ohio, 44110. They're available via via phone at 216-486-2415. They are open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from noon to 4 p.m. You can check them out at bluearrowrecords.com. My Mind's Eye Records is located at 16,010 Detroit Avenue, Lakewood, Ohio, 44107. They are open Monday through Sunday from 1 to 9 p.m. And you can reach them at 212-521-6660. So I'm based in Cleveland. I'm a freelance journalist. Um, I do marketing stuff too. So, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like you said, you know, making a 100% living from music is difficult these days. And I'm a very, I have a lot of varied interests. So I do everything from marketing and social media to, you know, other things like that. Um, but my primary gig is music writing. And so, I mean, I wrote last year, I published a book 
on Duran Duran's Rio in the 33 and a third series. And so people might know me from that. Um, I also wrote, um, I did the liner notes for the reissue of REM's Out of Time in 2016. So that was probably, I'm also a big REM fan. So that was kind of one of the highlights of my career. Uh, But I've written for a bunch of different places. I've written for Rolling Stone. I've written for The Guardian, NPR Music, Stereo Gum, the AV Club, Salon. And so I've, I've just sort of been around, I guess. And so, and I'm on Twitter a lot. So you people might know me from Twitter because I like Twitter. You know, I have a book coming on Lady Gaga later in the year, an illustrated biography. Um, I'm working on a book for University of Texas Press on the B-52s, which is also exciting. So, you know, I have I have varied musical interests as well. So, um, you know, I like the 80s and new wave, but I'm a big classic rock fan. I love singer songwriters. And so, you know, there's, there's just a lot. Well, let's go ahead and jump in to talking about the one and only Joni Mitchell. Annie, when did you get interested in Joni Mitchell? What was your first exposure to Joni Mitchell? What, when did you become a fan of Joni Mitchell and what does she mean to you personally? So it's funny that I, I've been thinking about that question since you posed it and um, I was trying to remember because it, she's one of those artists that I don't remember when I first encountered her because she's always just sort of been there. She's just one of those artists that's just so totemic and so, you know, ingrained into uh, music that I don't even remember the first time I heard her. It must have been when I was a kid. And I'm sure it was via something like like River and, and something like that, um, just because obviously that's such a you know, one of her most, you know, iconic songs, but I don't remember. She's just always kind of been around um, for me. And I will say that, you know, obviously she's always been around. So I'm like, of course, Joni Mitchell's amazing. But when I finally connected with Blue, I think I was older a little bit. I don't remember an exact age, but I feel like for me personally, and I know this is not everyone's experience. I related to Blue a lot more when I was older. I, I feel like I needed more life experience before I could really relate and appreciate the record um, because that that's the record for me. And I, I know I feel like that's such a pedestrian answer because it's like, of course, Joni Mitchell's Blue. This is a fabulous record. But there's just something about the songwriting on the record and the way and I'm, I'm also a big Tori Amos fan. So when I hear when I listen to Blue, I hear so much of what I love about Tori's music and Blue as well. And so I, I feel like being such a big Tory fan kind of primed me for listening to Blue. And so when I was older, like I said, it was it was probably within the last decade where I finally listened to Blue and I finally like it clicked for me. And I'm like, I understand this. Like this makes so much more sense. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that I needed You know, because like I said, I love all kinds of music. You know, I grew up, my parents were such CSNY fans. And so, or CSNY, yeah, CSNY fans love Neil Young. And so like the whole Laurel Canyon scene was always, you know, something in my house. You know, I don't think my parents were big Joni Mitchell fans as such, but, you know, everything else kind of the whole era and where she grew up and, you know, how she came, came, came of age as an artist was always something that I've always really enjoyed. And I don't know, something about it. Maybe it was just because I finally, you know, she was an artist that I was like, as I got older, I'm like, I, I understand where she's coming from more. And I didn't go, I, I'm in a happy marriage. I didn't go through any breakups or anything. It wasn't like, oh no, you know, I understand this, but it, it's almost hard to put into words just because I think the record is just the, the, the wordplay and just everything about it is just so incredible. The, I'm, I'm similar. Joni, I mean, someone who was like born in 1990, the 
realistically, probably my first exposure to Joni was probably Janet Jackson and Q-Tip. Uh, it's probably like the way that they sampled her. Um, that was probably my first exposure, if I had to guess, just because it would have been on the radio plenty of times. Um, and, but, you know, but Joni's just someone you, you kind of know, like, uh, I probably heard River for the first time in Almost Famous. And so, so we're hearing her through samples or movie soundtracks, like depicting the period. Um, but I was in, I was in grad school um, when I was just like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of lock in. I'm going to, I'm going to put on blue. That seems to be like the starting point. And uh, I'm just going to, you know, go for it, see what happens. And uh, I mean, pretty life changing moment as a music listener. You know, it was just, I mean, like start to finish, like everything did it for me. You know, I, I remember walking around with headphones around the University of Mississippi where I was for grad school and just like my jaw dropping, you know, and it's not, it's not like an album where you would think like, oh, it's a jaw dropper. Uh, but for me, it is. Um, I remember the song, it was Flight Tonight. I was just like, this is bonkers. You know, and it's not like anything like, Sergeant Pepper's big sweeping psychedelic stuff or like a, you know, she's not shredding like Hendrix or anybody. Uh, but there's just something about the musicality and her voice and her lyrics um, that just is, just penetrates the soul. I mean, like it, it's just, it, it's so, gosh, you know, I mean, like Annie was right, like hard to put it into words um, and you almost don't want to and you might lose something if you do. Um, but, you know, maybe I'll just go back to what Annie said about life experience. Like I, I was a year after uh, the biggest heartbreak, breakup, whatever I've had. I was like kind of a year out from that. So I had some distance from that. I'm in my early 20s. So maybe I was just in the right position to like receive blue uh, but I, and I was this way with Dylan too. Like I always, you know, I always say like, I had to catch up to Dylan. I had to like get there before I can just be all in. Um, and that's definitely how it's a Joni. A lot of the songs, there's kind of a misconception, I think, because of like the moody cover, we think of the color blue and associated with like the blues and having the blues. But so many of the songs are really sweet love songs. My old man is one of the sweetest love songs I've ever heard in my life, but it's not like a corny, like, or like a bubblegum pop love song. It's like really longing for someone and missing someone. But instead of saying like, I miss you so much, it's the bed's too big and the frying pan's too wide. Now those are images that are much stronger than I miss you. Right. So it's just, she's just capable of doing something with her songwriting that, you know, people 50 years later can't really compete with. No, I was going to say, and I love everything you just said there, just because that really sums up, you know, from the way her music is 
it's so malleable. You know, she mm. collaborated, you know, obviously Laurel Canyon early on, but she collaborated with Wendy and Lisa. You know, her catalog is so diverse. And she, you know, she's like Dylan in that there's a Joni for every mood or for every era. Yeah. Or what am I into listening to today? All right, I'm going to listen to, you know, something, a singer-songwriter album there. Okay, Joni. But it's something a little jazzier. Okay, there's a Joni record for that. And, you know, the fact that so many musicians picked up on how her music could be used in different ways, like with the samples, I think is so mm-hmm. telling of just, you know, obviously the, her artistry, but then also, you know, how interesting her, her music is, you know, people really saw how it could be molded and shaped in a different way. Yeah. And it's interesting to see like her list of admirers, um, you know, cause you know, we just like assume like, well, everyone's like a fan of like Dylan and that's like mostly true. But then like, you look at like, well, who's a fan of Joni Mitchell and you see like, Prince is like a huge, like would always write her letters, um, puts her name like on the cover of his album Controversy for no reason other than just to drop her name. He covered A Case of You from this record a few times. There are a couple different like recordings of him doing that. Like just, he said in the 80s that he hadn't heard an album that he loved from start to finish. It's Hissing of Summer Lawns by Joni. Um, which came out in 75. Uh, Elvis Costello has written a lot about how much he loves Joni Mitchell. Um, recently, like um, Adrian Linker from Big Thief, Eddie Crutchfield of Waxahachie, Elton John has said a lot of really beautiful things about Joni Mitchell's music. I mean, like, so, you know, a lot of people who I consider to be really great, you know, musicians and artists and writers, um, they also have that, that Joni Mitchell kind of obsession and it kind of it does seem like it, it is um a bit of an obsession As she, there's kind of like an underdog thing about her mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of the same way people like really root for brian wilson um because it always seems like the beatles are always just like right above him on like all these lists and all these different kinds of things so the fans of the beach boys are like always kind of rooting extra hard for brian and always trying to be a big defender and I'm the same way with Joni and Brian Wilson. Um, and that it's just like, everyone talks about Neil Young. Everyone talks about Dylan or, or James Taylor. And I'm always like, okay, but Joni at different points in her career. Um, I mean, you can like line them up, like with all their careers, there are times where she is outplaying them as a musician, whether it's guitar, piano, Appalachian, dulcimer, whatever. She's out singing them. Certainly Neil and Dylan certainly out singing them. Um, outwriting them um, a number of times um, in parallel, you know, discographies and points of times, you know, and yet I feel like we've just now that blue specifically has turned 50 are starting to kind of look back. A lot of people looking back and be like, this is one, this is one of the most important people in the history of music, you know, like suddenly the Grammys are like naming her woman of the year. She's winning the, you know, is at the Kennedy center being awarded, you know, and Brandy Carlisle is doing a lot with like promoting the 50th anniversary of the record. And, you know, so it seems like people are finally coming around and looking back, even at things like Hajira and hissing the summer lawns and looking past just kind of like the lady of the Canyon kind of image of Joni that she's kind of been trapped in for so long it's kind of like the flowery skinny just kind of pretty singer when in reality uh there's a lot going on with Joni Mitchell 
You know, she's not just this like kind of cutesy singer. Absolutely. And I think, you know, part of that, I think, goes into the fact that, uh, you know, people are there. There's such a, a tide that's turned that's saying, hey, you know, it's time for women who were playing mm-hmm. rock and roll and who were doing all of this music back in the 70s to get their flowers and to have their genius recognized. Because you're right, for so long, she was sort of her all of her music and her career was sort of, you know, written about because of who she dated and, you know, and right. who, who she was in relationships with and who she wrote songs about. I mean, you know, very similar to Taylor Swift, where, you know, people want to talk about, well, what is this song about? Who is this song about? Mm-hmm. And I think people are a lot more willing now to say, no, she needs to stand on her own as, you know, as a great. And that that just wasn't, you know, 50 some years ago. It just, you know, women were still kind of an anomaly in this whole era, you know, in, in the mm-hmm. type of music, you know, they were still sort of, you know, a curiosity and, you know, and people are, and, and especially cause she plays guitar and, you know, there, the idea of the female guitar virtuoso was just not a thing. And even now, you know, there's still the, the stereotype of the, you know, the man who's playing the guitar, who's a great, and you still have to say, no, 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 guess, you know, women also have different styles and women have unique styles. And Joni has an amazingly unique style because of, you know, the, her, out with polio and and how she basically sort of compensated for that as she started learning how to play and had these amazing gift and these amazing skills that came from it. And so I think it, it also comes with people just finally realizing, you know, yeah, this is, this needs to happen. So it's writing a sexist wrong, honestly, if you look mm. at it kind of overall. So it sounds like just from, from kind of listening to you both so far, it sounds like I'm definitely the person coming to this album as the, the lesser fan of of Joni Mitchell. And this is one of those albums for me where I I really love Blue. Really love this album. I don't know that I am completely sold on all the shades of Joni Mitchell that we get over the course of of her career. In preparation for us doing this episode, I have found myself going back and listening sitting down intentionally and kind of listening to her discography in a way that I had not before. And Micaiah, you had mentioned, you know, in this comparison to, you know, Dylan and Neil Young and stuff like that, that there are times she's out playing them as a musician. There are times she's out singing them, um, you know, times that she's out writing them. The thing that I am really floored by, really amazed by, especially given this is 1971 And there is an inherent sexism in rock music and folk music. I mean, there's an inherent sexism in the music industry for sure. One of the things that I am blown away by perhaps more than anything else about this album and about some of the other albums that she does is Joni Mitchell as a producer on this album. I, I I don't know that I had really thought about the idea that essentially this is a this is an album she is producing herself. So these are all choices. She's not just making all these choices as a musician, as a songwriter, as a singer. She is also producing all of this and the way that it all comes together. And and so in some ways, this is an album that gives you no opportunity for sexism. It gives you no opportunity to go, I like this album, but here, let me, let me point to this man who was behind it in some way or another I mean, this is an album that 
from start to finish belongs entirely to Joni Mitchell. Every decision, good, bad, or indifferent is hers. And there's something about that, that even thinking about that today in 2022, here's an album more than 50 years old. And I still don't know that we have a lot of female artists that are getting the opportunities to do what Joni Mitchell does in 1971 on blue to play all of the music, to, uh, to write all the songs, to sing how she wants to sing it and produce the album. There, there are very few female artists over the last 51 years who have gotten the opportunity to do what she does so effectively and so successfully here. And on a major label, you know, yeah, that's the other that's thing, true. you know, uh, independent labels have, have made that possible for, for more women now. Now, like a Phoebe Bridgers can like start kind of like her own subsidiary of like her label and like put people on there, you know? So, and like Courtney Barnett, I think also has her own label and she has like her own group of artists, you know, so they're in the independent world now, certainly. And certainly, I mean, who, who else, what, what other woman is writing, playing and producing records and and records of like this magnitude uh, in this time period? I don't know how many, I know uh, by the late seventies and into the eighties, Kate Bush, is doing something similar, but Kate is um, by her own admission not much of a musician. Certainly not the way that Joni is. Um, so yeah, I mean she she really is um, an exceptional. Even up to today, fifty years later, she's still exceptional. See, I would disagree with you on Kate Bush there because I, you know maybe she's not technically as proficient a musician as Joni, but just in terms of artistry, I think Kate Bush is right up there. And I think oh. it's like. I mean, geez, when you, it, it, she's comparable to Joni in just the sense that she basically, you know, had all this early success, did one thing and then was like, yeah, I'm going to do something completely different now. Sorry. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to put out the dreaming and it's going to be completely uncompromising. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. kind of like what Joni did. And, you know, she happened to have, you know, bigger hits, you know, but she's very much like, I'm going to follow my own muse. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you basically say, that's why Prince obviously loved Joni so much among mm-hmm. other things was that, you know, he saw the way she took control of her career and her music and basically, and, you know, followed wherever she wanted to go at that point and, and did it. And, you know, that's, that's, I mean, that's deeply inspirational because even, any artist, you know, when you're on a record label, when you're on a major label, you're getting meddling, you know, you're having people recommend, maybe you should work with this person or, you know, I don't hear a single, maybe you should do this. And it's very much like you're still beholden to kind of someone bigger than you and, and a greater structure than you. And the fact that Joni has this very self-contained, you know, vision and basically and executed it is, you know, extremely rare. And the record wouldn't have been as, as great as it is had, probably other people meddled in it. So, you know, she proved them right too, you know, or proved, proved her direction. Right. I, I, rather. Blue is Joni Mitchell's fourth album. Um, among her albums, it is widely considered to be her best um, in, in every kind of list we can point to where a Joni Mitchell album or multiple Joni Mitchell albums are featured. Uh, this is typically the highest ranked among them. Uh And especially in the last 20 years, it's interesting. You can look at lists of great albums that have come out of all time. You know, those, those kind of greatest of all time lists that you see. And you see some of those from the eighties and nineties And blue is up there. Blue is a top hundred, top 50, top 40, top 30 album. 
in the last 20 years, Joni Mitchell's Blue regularly regarded as one of maybe the 10 best albums ever made. So I think it's in Rolling Stones like top five now, um, right on the 2020 list. Uh, three, yeah, it's, it's it it went from thirty in 2012 to three in 2020. Yeah, so it's, it's top five now, and so and, and we see that as well. So it's in you know Rolling Stone has it as it as a top ten album, um, uh, Entertainment Weekly, uh, Time Magazine, VH1 that was years ago. NPR uh, did a list back in like 2016 or something of like the greatest albums made by women Mm -hmm. kind of a weird list, but regardless, um, number one, but all that to say this album, it, it represents a huge turning point for Joni Mitchell, but it also represents this particular era of her career that has not faded with time, but has actually, grown in its popularity and recognition. Um, you know, I, 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 any, what you said earlier that it is, it is kind of writing a sexist wrong. Um, is it, is it one of those things that the, the culture and time has finally come far enough to catch up with where Joni was writing in 1971, or is it just finally catching up enough to give the credit that should have been given then for this album? What is what what do we see looking at this album now? What does this turning point represent for her? And how do we kind of evaluate the fact that this album keeps growing in recognition and popularity and in um in, in kind of widespread admiration? I mean, I think you know it, it's interesting because you know, I feel like part of the reason why it's it's kind of grown in stature is you know, kind of, you know, like what we said is that people are finally catching up to what this is. I mean, I love that her quote that she's always said that, you know, there is not a dishonest note in the vocals. You know, she had no personal defenses and this is her talking. I felt like a cellophane wrapper on a pack of cigarettes. I felt like I had absolutely no secrets from the world and I couldn't pretend in my life to be strong. And, you know, rather than people seeing that as a weakness, I think people now, especially are, you know, seeing that vulnerability and recognizing and say, no, that's, that's incredibly strong. And that's just incredibly influential on so much modern music. You know, I mean, when you look at the indie rock and the indie pop, that's popular. When you even look at the pop music, that's popular. It's, you know, being vulnerable is where, you know, music is sort of going and people are really recognizing the fact that this was one of the first records that was really, really just, you know, put everything was put out there. You know, she had, you know, all the relationships and the happy moments and the sad moments and the challenging moments, there was ambivalence, you know, it's, it's not a, clear cut record. And I think that's very appealing now because people are, you know, are are realizing, obviously it's not just, you know, kind of like you said earlier, like, you know, Oh, this is happy, happy love song. You know, she was writing very complex, deep songs. And I think people now are really recognizing, you know, how that's kind of influencing, you know, modern musicians. Um, I just also think that the, the amount of covers and like you said, the sampling early on has just really kind of brought this record back into kind of the consciousness too. I mean, when you look at, you know, I think the, 
the Counting Crows, Vanessa Carlton cover. I that that's honestly probably one of I you know as you were talking, it jarred my memory. It's probably one of the first big Joni memories of mine was that cover. But right. that's just one of them. I mean, when you actually sit down and look at how many people have covered her music, it's astounding. You know, she this record, and I, I talk about this with other records too, but this has sort of become part of the American songbook, basically, that yeah. when people were looking at our standards. So when people are kind of looking at songs to cover, I mean, that's just what these songs are like now. And so I think that's also just helping raise the stature of, of the album uh, as well. But I also think that, Rob, going back to those lists and the changing the list, I think that also what's indicated as more women who are writing about music. Um, and a lot of that is probably because, you know, music writing isn't just bound to, you know, three magazines in the country. And then a couple that are from outside of the country. And then you have like a token woman at each of those, you know, you have like a couple women at cream or maybe a couple at Rolling Stone or, and maybe like not even at the same time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the way that music journalism has changed and who gets to write about music has also changed. I think that's also been a really big help. Yeah, I would totally agree with that as well. Absolutely. And, you know, there are people who are, you know, writing about music now that don't necessarily have older biases. You know, they mm-hmm. probably they might not even care who Joni Mitchell was dating around this time. You know, it's part of the narrative, but it's not the dominant force of the narrative um, or it's not the most interesting thing about the record. People realize that there's far more interesting things to talk about the lyrics and the guitar playing and and, you know, in her musicality. And that's just, you know, that that's way more interesting than, oh, I broke up with someone. So, yeah. 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 It's not like, oh, this song is about when she went to go see James Taylor on the set of Tulane Blacktop. It's like that, that has suddenly become much less important. It's interesting kind of coming to this album much later. Okay. So this is after her breakup with Graham Nash and she's dating James Taylor while the album is being recorded. Like, so those kind of things, they're they're like historically interesting, but they're not they're not a compelling part of the album. Like exactly. the, like like it's 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 cool background information to know, but none of it makes the album better. Um I will say her confirming in a 1998 interview the story of of giving up her daughter for adoption in Little Green the the weight that adds to that song is um unbelievably heavy i mean that's that that's probably that's probably the the kind of thing about her personal life that impacts the listening of the album for me way more than anyone she's ever dated well absolutely and and you know and the fact that you know her you know, kind of revealing that later too, you know, it's like as much as she was like, Oh, I'm on the surface. That's something very, that's a very private song. I mean, that's a very, you know, intimate song. And that's something, you know, when she talks about everything is on the surface, like, absolutely. But just, you know, and, and, but like, who was talking about that too, you know, thinking in, in terms of, you know, just the, the content, you know, musicians were not talking about that, you know, I mean, that's such a, you know, painful thing. And those, you know, a lot of, you know, musicians weren't, weren't, thinking that way you know they didn't have necessarily anything that serious to even talk about and so you know and that's the fact that she went there and was willing to talk about that too is also you know i think her boldness and her bravery too is a lyricist you know maybe because it was her fourth record she was like you know all right you know i've 
been keep I've kept doing this now. You know, it's not like it's my first couple records. I have the confidence to be able to do this. But yeah, I mean, it's just a it's a I mean, that that song is just heartbreaking when when you when you like when you read it with that context now. And it's because it's simple, but it's simple, but it's so devastating. Yeah. And a revolutionary act. I mean, we talk about rock and roll as having to be like Keith Moon smashing his drum set, Hendrix, you know, setting his guitar on fire, Dylan going electric, but it can also be something as simple as this subtle song, subtle musically, you know, just plucking long strings and confessing or admitting, right? One, that you had a child when you were a young woman, unwed. So it's still 1971, right? I mean, this is, you know, quite an admission. And that you gave that child away. And also, you don't regret that. You know, like this, these are, this is a revolution. I mean, th- this is Hendrix smashing his guitar. I mean, this this is as revolutionary an act in my mind, you know, for the social context and the historical context, um, you know, that, that I think is is important. I think even actually I'd go separate than I think, I think it's more revolutionary because for as much as we give historic kind of male looking rock music, it's, it's for show, you know, it's, it's the destroying the instruments and the amps and all that stuff. It's, 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 performance it's performance it's also all aggressive and phallic oh no for for sure but i mean but it's but it's performative to be so vulnerable to be i mean there is there is a strength displayed in what Joni mitchell is doing on little green that destroying a stage at the end of a concert cannot compete with it's because there there's a realness to what Joni mitchell is doing that's it's it's so authentic it is, it, it, it's, it's real in a way that the performative stuff just can't be. And, and that's the, that's kind of the stuff again, you, you know, Anna, you mentioned her bravery, like this is a brave album. I mean, the, the, the things that she reveals, the, the intimacy that she writes with the choices that she makes and then stands by. And again, this is her fourth album comes out in a major label this is a brave album. There, there are not, forget other women, there are not artists that are making albums this brave at this time. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, and, you know, and Little Green even dates back to 1966. So it was even earlier that she was writing this, which, you know, in the mid sixties, like, oh my God, you know, and I mean, it's, 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 terrible that like the story was outed you know it was sold to a tabloid which is terrible you know that she wasn't even able to kind of bring out with it on her own terms you know but yeah I mean it's I don't know I mean it's I, I love I, I love the lines on this this the lyrics especially on this record you know I mean because especially the line you're sad and you're sorry but you're not ashamed I mean that's revolutionary thing you know because you know you're conditioned women are conditioned to feel shame about something like this and she's like I don't you know, and that's just, just really serves as kind of a model as well of, you know, this is, this is how I'm feeling. And it's it kind of served as a modern way of looking. And I mean, I mean, if you're that, that predated the feminist movement of the seventies, even too, I mean, that's, it's unbelievably revolutionary. And, you know, this is way more rock and roll than you're right. Like destroying a hotel room. Anyone can do that. That's childish. This is sophisticated. Right. This is someone who's dealing with something extremely adult, and really having to come to terms with it and doing it in such an eloquent way, you know, and that's, that's rock and roll. 
Well, let's go ahead and, and dive into this question. Maybe the most difficult one to ask on an album this good. What are your top five songs on blue and why? See, I've been dreading this because it's like, you know, I can't choose, you know, I mean, it's, I, I mean, I think little green, absolutely. We've already talked about this, but you know, 100%, that's one of them. Um, I, I almost feel like it's cheating by saying river is one of them, but like I did a piece on it a couple of years ago and I really did a deep dive into the background and the lyrics. And I just really like, I just really consider that song in a new way. And I just think that that, uh, or the, the song is just, you know, there, there's so much going on in that song and, you know, you it's, and it's, it's, the whole funny thing is, is that, yeah, obviously it's considered a holiday song now because it kind of sounds like you, cause obviously she inter, you know, interpolates the holiday music in it. And so it's such a, it's such a weird, it, it's a weird song, but yeah, it makes perfect sense in a way. Cause like you would never think I, she didn't certainly didn't write it to become a holiday song, but so many people associate with the holidays, but yet it's probably one of the more, you know, uncharacteristic holiday songs, you know, it's basically about a miserable holiday. Um, but I, I just love that record. There's something about the melancholy in that song that I just really relate to. And I just think there's something really beautiful about it. And it's also, you know, you can read the song in so many different ways. And, you know, so I just, you know, that's, that's always been one of my favorite ones then. Um, and a case of you, and I believe Tori has covered a case of you, Tori Amos. And so, you know, that's, that was actually probably my introduction to that song with via Tori, because I used to do tape trading and bootleg trading and, and things like that in the nineties. And, you know, so when you would hear Tori and she did, and she's always done so many covers and her cover of that song is just beautiful. And so that just really introduced me to, I think just the beauty of that song, um, the last time I saw Richard is actually like, I just love the musicality of that one, especially um, that just, you know, it, it's so funny that it ends the record because it's such a, when it comes on, it just kind of makes you, it's, I mean, it comes after river in a case of you, which is difficult enough, but it just, there's just something about it that puts kind of an expl an, a, a punctuation mark on the end of the record. But mm -hmm. I just, I think that's probably my favorite musicality on it. And then all I want, honestly, to open the record. Like that's just, it's, I mean, this record is also the sequencing and I'm a big fan of records that are sequenced. Well, this record is has impeccable sequencing. And so the way it starts was all I want. And then the way it just kind of unfolds is just perfect to me too. So I think those are my favorites, but that's just today. That's like, yeah. ask me tomorrow and there's different songs. Yeah. Uh, the miles of Isles live version of last time I saw Richard is also really great um, because she does like a voice for like the waitress like character. Uh, and it's, it's like genuinely funny. Um, and you just like, it's so unexpected too uh, because of like what the song is and like what it means to so many people that the fact that she'll like do like a, a pretty comical voice, just like in just like insert in the middle there is uh, just great. It's, it's a great side of Joni that people don't see or hear often that. I really enjoy. Um, yeah. And, but back to what you were saying about perfectly sequenced. Also, you gotta love a record. That's five songs on side one, five songs on side two, just like boom. symmetry. Symmetry is so good. Yes. Gotta love it. Always here for it. Yeah, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go in order of how they appear on the album. Just cause again, I'm with you. I, I think it's, it's a very intentionally sequenced album. 
And we have spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about great albums where the only critique that we have for the album, the only thing that like really prevents it from being a perfect album is it's, it's not sequenced. Well, there's, there's a lot of artists that make incredible music and put together a great albums worth of music. And it's just not, it's not sequenced in the right way. There, there's something lacking in the intentionality of the sequencing and the way that this is, this album is sequenced is just so perfect. So in order of how they appear on the album, um, all I want, uh, again, I, I love the idea that just her voice in a dulcimer and what she can do with, with the combination. Cause in another artist's hands, this could sound too much like she's trying to do Appalachian folk music but she takes just her voice in this instrument and makes it her own and, and does something unique that is wholly unto herself um, on this track. And I, I, I just love it. I love the way that it happens. Little green. And again, you talk about the symmetry, little green and river are what I believe to be the two most heartbreaking songs on the album. And they both sit in the middle of the two sides. So mm-hmm. you have little green in the middle of side A, river in the middle of side B. They might be like they might be my favorite song on each side of the album. Um, and and I love again uh, that thinking about how they're sequenced on 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 the record. Perfect. So little green heart heartbreaking song, just so vulnerable and, and so and so big. For me, the the opener to side two, California, California for me is the song that like demonstrates just how much diversity is on this album. Because again, whether it's, you know, thinking about the color blue or so many of the shade, you know, kind of the emotional shades of this album and the fact that River, you know, far and away is maybe the most ubiquitous song in her, the history of her career. Um, Again, every starting at the beginning of every November, you're going to hear this song a thousand times. California seems to be like the antithesis of what you expect this album to be. Cause it's as bright fun. I mean, like it's, it's a happy song. Um, and it's so, so well done. And again, such, such great choices made uh, in, in this song. Um, so California and then river, which is just a perfect song. I mean, it, there's, there is, there is a reason it is as beloved as it is, it is a perfect song. Um, and then a case of you, which I think is just a, a case of you is fun. My, my only thing with the last time I saw Richard is the last, the last time I saw Richard seems like such an interesting choice to close the album. I don't know that there's any song better to close it, but it, a case of you feels like it, it feels like such a nice, easy landing for this album and then so last time I saw Richard almost feels like the encore for the album rather than the album closer. It's like a victory lap is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So better, but yeah, so case of you would be my fifth. Awesome. This is, uh, I've been looking forward to this episode for so long. <laughs> I, uh, we should do this every week. You guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'll do my five. Uh, number one, all I want 
Um, I've talked about this song plenty of times because we did a 1971 episode and we did like a like a desert island episode and I put this record on you know both those and mentioned this song in particular but it's great I mean I want to shampoo you I want to renew you uh, rip my stockings and some you know jukebox dive it's just like it's just so youthful and beautiful and fun I don't know it just it's really stirring I really love it. I want to shampoo you. There's something about that that is just, that really, really gets me. Um, I'm not like a cosmetologist or anything. I do like being shampooed. It is the best part of getting a haircut. Um, But there's something so intimate about that. Um, You know, because it's not, it's not, I want to hug and kiss you. It's I want to shampoo you. And I think that's so interesting. And so it's one of those things that's like, that's so like, maybe clearly like unique to that relationship, but not so far fetched that no one else could like understand why that would be something so sweet and special to say. Um, yeah. So I've, I've always loved things like that and, you know, rip my stockings and jukebox dive, you know, and that's just such a great Joni lyric too. Like, you know, like, yeah, I'll, you know, uh, I, I go to dives, but I'm also this really sweet person who just wants to renew. It, 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 it does a lot of things there. And the, mu- the musicality is tops, right? Um, for similar reasons, My Old Man, which I've already talked about, right? This like longing for someone, missing someone, but instead of saying, I miss you so much, it's bed's too big, frying pan's too wide, you know, like just that kind of evocative writing that is absolutely perfect. Uh, no one said it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. Carrie uh, is a great one. Great song. Uh, and super fun and it's something that um, I'm like waiting for like Haim to cover. Um, Danielle Haim, her voice is, I think she probably found her voice through singing Joni Mitchell growing up. So I'm just like always waiting for Haim to release like a Joni cover. Um, and this one would probably be perfect for them to do potentially. They've come close and writing their own like Joni Mitchell songs, like uh, Man from the Magazine on Women in Music Part 3, like, just could be a Joni Mitchell song. Um, and probably, in a lot of ways, is about Joni Mitchell. Different episode. Um, I put the title track on here, Blue. Um, wonderful piano playing uh, from Joni here. A um, lot of fun with melody. A lot of just beautiful singing. And just just like the... Uh, like the needles, guns, and grass, lots of laughs. Like, I mean, just like, just perfect. Just, just perfectly sang and written and performed. Um, and, and it's so the 1970s, which I, we haven't really, really talked about that, but it's, it, this album is timeless, but it also very much um, evokes a time and a place. Um, and as someone who enjoys, learning about and thinking about that time and place and these spaces too. Like there are plenty of pictures like of these houses and of these places she's speaking about. Um, it's, it really evokes those places uh, beautifully in the same way that we think of like music from big pink and the big pink house, um, you know? So, and that song I think really does it, uh, but it's a, that's the one with the sharper edge on it though, too. That song, you know, that, that's, that's where you that, that one's kind of the one that people like when they think of this album, they think of that kind of tone, um, even though it's, it's split pretty even, I think about half and half. Well, the last one I see on my list is California, which feels wrong. Um, 
because I feel like I need to say more. Uh, but yeah, California rules. Will you take me as I am, strong on another man? California, I'm coming home. You know, this is this is great. This is what you want, right? I mean, this is this is perfect. You know, yeah, love it. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna do this without talking about River. Now, River. What what I love about these songs is they sound like simple folk songs, right? Either on guitar or piano or something. I went to go learn River on piano once because I know enough about piano, like can like fool around and, and you know convince someone that I know how to play it, right? Um, tried to get to figure out River. It is so so much more complex than like you can begin to think in terms of what her left and right hand are doing with the, the melodies being here and what she's doing with her left. It, it is bonkers. And it, it, and she has a Joni Mitchell, like piano style, you know, that, that carries in like the rest of her records. Um, there are a lot of people who, you know, play piano, but to, to have a noticeable like piano playing style, I think is much harder than like a guitar playing style, at least for my ears. Um, and the fact that Joni has noticeable styles for any instrument she picks up is the mark of a great musician. I don't know anyone who plays a dulcimer like her. Um, the way that she experiments with like open tunings, right when she plays guitar, and the way she plays piano. I mean, I I really think in a number of ways. Um, even though I've said you should you know look at the parallels between her and like Young and Dylan, um, in a number of ways she's unparalleled. Um, yeah, I went over five. I cheated. I'm sorry, um, but I, ha- I had to say something about River. I mean, you have to, right? I mean, you even just listen to the the beginning of that song where you know it's not even straightforward. You know, there's a little bit of like it's not even syncopation, but if there's like hesitation, and it's just you can mm-hmm. even tell that's unorthodox there. I mean, it's one of those things where you're almost forced to slow down. And I, I have very rudimentary piano skills. So it's, you know, I don't think there's any way I could even come close to even playing that song, but even just deal with my, you know, I played the flute so I can read, I read music in a much different way. And it's even then you're just like, wow, that's, there's, there's some interesting stuff going on here. And listen to this record too, before we got on the zoom here, you know, I heard different things. I heard little details here and there too. Very, very similar that it's just, it's a completely, you know, it's a completely unique sound and even the the blue universe you know you hear it and you're like oh i know what the record this is from and you know that obviously goes back to production and you know and, and texture and everything like that but you know she really kind of created a kind of a self-contained universe on this record as well for sure and it's very indicative of like or foreshadows rather like the more jazzy side mm-hmm. of her career mm-hmm. right going back to like the notes you're playing and the notes that you're not playing Totally. Right. When you look, when you consider her piano on that. So, I mean, you can tell that she listens to, to Monk and Mingus and Miles. you know, like you can tell that she has a great ear um, and just, yeah, the incredible capabilities. I mean, even thinking back to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to kind of blew the Miles Davis album. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you go back, you know, in, in some ways, <laughs> Kind of blue is, it, you know, the start of that movement of Miles Davis career starts with Birth of the Cool, and Birth of the Cool is all of these, you know, kind of jazz standards that 
are being interpolated and in the way that Miles Davis is doing it is very similar to the start of river and what Joni Mitchell is doing this, this idea of, you know, and I love, even you mentioned the playing with playing with the, the time because you get, because essentially it's, it's the interpolation of uh, jingle bells, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a, Dun, 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 like, like she, it, it slows. And then, but she also never resolve, never resolves it. Like it, it never goes to the one she always, you know, it always comes to this minor and, and it's this interesting way. Like you're taking something incredibly familiar in twisting it both in terms of time and twisting it in terms of the notes you're playing so it leaves you feeling unsettled. So like, it's such in, in some ways it's such a small thing, but I think about this both as a songwriter and a producer, she evokes the entire feeling of the song with the interpolation at the beginning. And the fact yeah. that you feel unsettled by it, that it's not like it's off, it's not right. And then here's a song about the the sadness that comes from, you know, w uh, what can be for many people, one of the saddest holiday seasons of the year. And, mm -hmm. and she's writing right into that in this way that is just le like in, in some ways I feel like river has become this, it's become this Christmas song. It's, you know, like it, it feels in some ways now that it's become so, um, like almost like overly used and overly commercialized and, you know, a, a thousand new Hallmark Christmas movies every year. Like it, it, it's so overused now, but I feel like when you listen to it in the context of this album, when, when that's its home rather than the background music for a television show or a movie or a commercial, when it's, when this song sits in this album, it, it does something, maybe this is just me. It does something in my soul that, I mean, we can be in the middle of July and I put river on and I'm immediately taken to that place, that cold, dark, lonely place. And she's in, 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 you feel that from the intro to the song before she's saying a word, but I do think river is also her best vocal performance on the album. I, I think it's I think it's the song she sings best on this album as well. Interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I just think that, you know, the and I think that might go back to the fact that the, the that song especially meant so much to her, you mm -hmm. know, and there was just so because the genesis of it was so, you know, I can't even think of words exactly. But, yeah, I mean, just the fact that you know, it was so, you know, all, every song was personal, but that song especially was so deeply personal. And there's something about it that you put yourself into that place. And she was putting herself in that place of feeling completely like I'm in a crowd of people and I'm completely alone. And, you know, there's something a little bit extra to that. And, you know, you mentioned that melancholy and you're right. Any time of the year you hear the song, it's like, well, but it's December it's completely like, you know, 15 degrees outside, maybe it's snowing. Like there's just something so incredibly evocative and on the surface about that song. And especially with her vocals too, you know, and it's just because they're not, you know, they go up there, they're dynamic. I think that's the whole thing about the vocals, especially on that is that it's very, 
up and down and she's really emphasizing different words and different scenes. And I think, you know, that's, it's, it's all very deliberate, but she does feel like she's just really there. There's, there's something extra on that. Another neat thing about the way it's played right in the beginning is that it doesn't start off gloomy, right? It starts off like jingle bells, you know, like it, it it has this kind of like, Oh, it's that time of year again. And then gets down to, oh, it's that time of year again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it is a, you know, it's like a, like a bait and switch. You know, it's just like, all oh, right. And you know, and then even when the, the lyrics are going, it's like they're putting up trees, they're putting up reindeer, songs of joys and peace, or songs of joy and peace. And then it changes again. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's much more kind of like up and down than you would think. You know, it, it works in the way that sadness does. You're not always sad. You know what I mean? So it, it, it does have a more kind of realized uh, lyrical kind of understanding or, or momentum to typically how you might feel the time you're, sometimes you do love it. Um, sometimes you want to get away, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, what we're all saying. It's a perfect song. Okay. On a perfect, <laughs> on, on a perfect album, you know? Um, but this, yeah, this one, will probably always be a little extra special. Uh, maybe because there, there becomes a time of year when everyone wants to listen to it. This has been so much fun. Like I've had such a good time talking about Joni. I mean, I love talking about Joni Mitchell, but this has been such a good conversation. So I appreciate it. Well, we, we love having you. And um, again, for, for all of our listeners, we want to encourage you to check out um, Annie's writing everywhere you can find it, which is pretty much everywhere you can ever read about music. Annie has likely written something for the, for that place. Um, but we also wanted you to bear in mind uh, her incredible 33 and third volume on Duran Duran's Rio, which is available everywhere you pick up books and a forthcoming book on Lady Gaga and the Lady beef tattoos. Yeah. That's going to be exciting stuff. And so we want you to of course support Annie and you can follow her on Twitter at, at Annie Zaleski. So uh, I, I make it easy. It's just my first and last name. Love it. Perfect. At Annie Zaleski, you can follow her on Twitter. But we like to end every interview with this one question. This is Annie, so hard. You. This is so sad. And end the conversation with us. Yeah. <laughs> what are your top five albums? Now, we also understand asking you a question like, what are your top five albums? Is a huge question, especially for someone who loves music. So for you, it doesn't have to be what you think are the best. It could just be your personal favorite. It could be under five underappreciated albums, or it could just be the five albums you're listening to right now. So I, I'll, maybe I'll do a mix. Okay. So because I wrote a book on Rio, Rio is always in my top five. And I would actually, I would have said that before I wrote the book and writing the book on Rio actually made me appreciate it and like it even more. So I, I knew that it was like, that was, the right book subject that I, I finished writing an entire, you know, almost 40,000 words on an album. And I like, let's go, let's listen to it again. So Duran Duran's Rio always like, like, like blue completely, you know, well sequenced. Every song is great. Every song does something interesting, classic record. So that's one of them. Um, 
I think REM. So it's interesting because, you know, I wrote the liner notes on out of time and out of time is one of my favorite records of all time. Mm-hmm. I think sentimentally um, automatic for the people by REM has long been one of my favorite records. And that's one that I would listen to as a kid, you know, all the time and just devoured it. Then you talk songwriting and right there, that was just, you know, between the, the musicality and just, you know, the, thematically love that record. And so that's, that's kind of my, you know, another one of my top records. Um, see, now this is where it gets hard. Cause then it's like, okay, I know those two. So what else here? Um, you know, it's funny that tears, I love tears for fears. And I think the hurting has kind of leapfrogged into like one of my like classic records that I, uh, that are just, just wonderful. So this record came out in 1983 and kind of like Rio, it has its own sort of universe and that just musically and it, it just, it sounds like no other record that came out that year. It sounds like no other record Tears for Fears ever made. Um, the songwriting was very, very, very on the surface. Like they were very young and they were very much in touch with, we're going to be vulnerable. And so I love that record. Like I, I always, always, always am going back to that record. Um, so that's three See, now this is where it gets difficult then, because, you know, it depends on the day. You know, I, I'm a big Beatles fan, of course. And, you know, Sgt. Pepper is always, I think that's the one I tend to go back to. And I know that it's funny because I know that the later Beatles now is, you know, where where things are kind of moving. But I just I, I'm such a pop music fan that Sgt. Pepper, uh, you know, is I think is the one I always gravitate toward. Um, and so that's just because, you know, it's it's you know, the, I, I, the psychedelic pop and just the everything about it, just how the studio, how they made it and just how everything sort of unfolded. Like that's, that's as well. And I need one more. And so this is, this is where it gets difficult then. It probably it might be a Madonna record or no, wait, you know what? Ooh. I might have to go with the Prince record just because, okay. you know, I haven't gone with Prince and I honestly can't choose because, you know, after he passed, I started doing obviously a deep dive into his entire catalog and depending on the day would kind of be on, you know, the day, you know, how I would kind of gravitate towards something. So, you know, I, you, you can always go with purple rain. You really can't go wrong with that, but I, depending on the day, some of this earlier stuff, I'm like, okay, I can get behind that, but I'll, I'll say pu- purple rain. That'll be my top five today. I'm glad we're doing blue now uh, because it seems like we really kind of put ourselves out there with like Taylor Swift and like the national, uh, you know, really, you know, making the claim for new albums. So it, it does kind of feel good to, go back to a, a shoe in, mm-hmm. you know, um, but also one that I, but also, also one that, um, that we're kind of split on to a degree. Like you can admit that it's a great record, but it's not a record that you love. Right. No, this is not to the extent. This is, this is one of those albums for me where it, it's kind of that strange thing. I think wholeheartedly this is among the hundred greatest albums ever made. Uh-huh. I don't know that this is among my hundred favorite albums. Right. And whereas it's in my top five, pretty yeah. safe and secure in there. And, and hissing a summer lawns is also like in my top 50, you know, like we have different appreciations for Joni. Um, yeah. But I think that that puts us kind of an interesting point and, 
I, I'm curious as to how many more kind of moments like this we're going to have, you know, and, and where this album's going to place when we actually go to like rank this thing, um, you know, where, where, where it will land will be very interesting to see. Um, but I'm glad that it's here. Um, and I'm glad that you, you nominated it and that you spent some time with it uh, as your friend that that makes me happy uh, that, that you have, have put the time in to get to know the record and spend time with the record. It's a great um, album. It's a great album. And the things that I love about this album, man, I, I'm head over heels for, mm-hmm. um, but you know, as, as we talked you know, about with Annie, there, there is a, there's a vocal quality that is present on this album and it's just a range thing. There is, there are times in this album where she sings in this really high register and maybe it's, you know, in, in audio sensitivity that I have, you know, maybe that's what it is, but it's, there's something that is, um, that takes away a little bit from me when she sings in that kind of really high falsetto that, that I, that I struggle with, but at the same time, you know, she also was very intentional about kind of trying to destroy her voice with, you know, a, like a two or three pack a day smoking habit for most of oh, yeah. most of the seventies. And so there, there are albums, there are later albums of hers that I really love the sound of her voice on mm-hmm. in some ways, because she's tried to destroy it. Like, so yeah, well it was, it was destroying that whole image. Yeah, there, there's a unique character her, to her voice. So for me, I'm a huge Tom Waits fan, and I I know there are some people who don't like Tom Waits because his voice just doesn't do it for him. Um, look, my wife loves Bob Dylan's songs but doesn't like his voice. And so, uh, you know, if the only complaint I have for Joni Mitchell is that I don't like it when she sings in her highest register, that's a pretty small complaint to have on what is a – brilliantly written performed and produced album and before we leave because you might not be alone in that um and other lists have done a pretty good job at calling attention to other records but i do want to say you know that Joni mitchell is someone who if we were doing a top 500 would have no fewer than five records that i would they need to be on there at least at least hajira in hissing and summer lawn so at least at least three would be a shoe in well you need uh but i also want to call attention to court and spark Mm -hmm. which is on all the lists and and prince um squeezes in help me and one of the songs on sign of the times uh court and spark is is brilliant uh like you said hissing and summer lawns and hajira don juan's reckless daughter her, her double lp is bonkers um, and, and in the best way, like it is truly a, a wonderful record. I think people need to listen to, and a later record of hers from 1991 night ride home is incredible. They were playing songs from night ride home. But when I went to go see, um, big thief before they took the stage, there were a couple of night ride home songs playing. And that's when I knew I was certainly in the right place. Um, so, you know, people who are kind of stuck on blue, Listen to For the Roses and Hissing Summer Lawns, Hajira, Night Ride Home. Like, you know, open it up. You know, go to that weird Mingus album. You know, there, there's a lot to enjoy in her discography outside of Blue. But I think for our list, 
right? And it has to be blue, right? I agree. I think I think for our list, it has to be blue, and I'm confident this album should be on our list. I I really don't think there's any question at all if this is a top 100 great album. Um, you know, again, it, it's th- there are times where as we're putting this list together, we're going to give attention to albums that are favorites of ours. But even for the albums that are favorites of ours, we have to really believe that it's a greatest hundred album of all time. And I believe that blue is an all time one top 100 great album. And so for the sake of our list, that's, that's really all this comes down to. And so am am I going to listen to seven different emo albums from 2001 more frequently than I'm going to listen to this? Absolutely. But this is an all time great album. And so that's what really matters here. Good deal. Happy to have it. It feels like it feels like a you for going milestone to, you know, rope in one of the kind of like the giant iconic records. Feels mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I'm in 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 the way you feel right now is is how I'm gonna feel when you finally come around to nominating U2's Joshua Tree. Uh, if I ever do, it'll be just so you can have the feeling that I am right now getting to talk about blue. Uh, cause it, because it is our list, I think it's fair that your favorite album should be represented on our list. Um, but I do not think uh, Joshua Tree is a top 100 greatest albums of all time. But I think if you and I are making a list, then it has to be on there because you need to be properly represented. I agree. Okay. Well, listener, we thank you so much for listening. Uh, tell us what you think. Reach out to us at You Forgot One Pod on Twitter, at You Forgot One on Instagram. Of course, our website, youforgotone.com. Uh, you can follow us, like us, subscribe to us on whatever your uh, podcast listening platform is. And more than anything else, if you are an Apple user, a Google user, or a Spotify user, will you please rate and review the podcast, which will help other people discover it just like you did. We leave you now with a classic cover. Counting Crows and Vanessa Carlton doing big. Oh, Rob, no, please. They paid paradise and put up a fucking line. With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? It'd be in paradise and put up a fucking line. They took all the trees and put them in a tree museum. And they charged the people a dollar and a half to see them. No, 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 don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone. It'd be in paradise and put up a fucking line. Paradise.